music, athletics, arts, and entertainment. The Desert Tiger Podcast with Colton Geschwagner. And just like you heard from the man Jesse in the intro, my name is Colton G. And I am the host here on the DTP. For those of you who are new, that is the Desert Tiger Podcast. And thank you for tuning in to this episode 30 of the DTP. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you're listening on, thank you so much for tuning in to the Desert Tiger Podcast. And my guest here today on episode 30 is Brad Merritt, bassist for 5440. That is right Canadian icons, Canadian rock legends, 5440. We're going to be sitting down with Brad today to talk about how 5440 got their start, how they got their name from the Manifest Destiny movement, 5440 or Fight, for all you history buffs out there. We're going to be talking to him about how the band broke onto the radio rock scene in the States and sort of across Canada, how they en- then ended up breaking out in Canada, then sort of again back around everywhere. We're literally going to go through pretty much every single album this 5440 has released. That is like 14 albums. There's like 18 EPs or compilations mixed in there. There is a lot to talk about, and we are going to get into so much of that with our guest Brad Merritt today. I hope you guys are just as excited as I am. We're going to be talking to him about the albums and how they, each one was different, what they were influenced by, and where the band was at at that time in their life. We're going to be talking about how they recently did an album where they did acoustic approaches to 10 of their songs from their catalog, 10 of their singles. 10 of their best, most loved songs from across their catalog and how they gave them an acoustic twist, how they gave them some different instrumentation and how that all worked out. We're going to talk to him about all different stories that he has from like almost 40 years from over the band. We're going to talk to him about the Hootie and the Blowfish covering them blowing up, how those guys were fans of the band when they were touring earlier on on that college radio rock scene. We're going to be talking about how they actually did a tour with the Hootie guys. Who played I Go Blind on a tour where the band who wrote it and the band who made it famous technically are both on the tour. Who plays it? Do you play it together? Does one man play it? Do you both play it at end? What do you do? We're going to find that out. We're going to ask all these questions. We're going to be talking to Brad for like straight up an hour about the entire history of 5440. Obviously, I am excited. I hope that you guys are excited. And we are going to be getting into this interview right away. But of course, you guys know that we like to kick some things off with a little bit of music. And of course, we have to pay some bills first and tell you how you can support the show. So first off, the easiest way to support the show is simply to subscribe or to share this episode or any of your other favorite episodes to suggest the show to a friend or something like that. 
those are great ways to help us get our name out there and to help build the podcast and would make me so endearly and sincerely thankful to you. And if you guys really, really want to support us any more than that, you can support our great sponsors. And those sponsors are, first off, Collar and Elbow. Collar and Elbow is a wrestling-inspired streetwear company that was started by Al Snow. And if you guys head on over to the Collar and Elbow web store, if you find something that you like, whether it's a shirt, whether it's a hat, whether it's some nice sweatpants, whatever it is, when you're checking out of the Collar and Elbow web store, if you use the code DTP, you're going to save yourself 10% off your order. It's that simple. It's that easy. It's pretty much like canceling out the tax right there. Boom. Just like that. And you can also support the show by checking out Audible. You guys know how much I love the Audible service because I'm constantly driving around, doing work, getting interviews for the podcast, doing all sorts of different things. Sometimes I don't have as much time to read a book as I would like, and that is why me and the Desert Tiger podcast have partnered with Audible to give you one free month of the Audible service plus one free audiobook if you simply go to www.audible.com DTP. It's that simple. It's that easy. One free audiobook, one free month, www.audible.com DTP. They literally have like everything. They're operated by Amazon. They are amazing. All right, so we've told you a little bit about our guest. We've told you about how you guys can support the show. So now we have to get into some music, right? We have to get some tunes to get you grooving. How about something with a killer bass line by our man, Brad Merritt? How about the latest single off 5440's latest album, Keep On Walking? This song is called Sucker For Your Love.
Desert Tiger Podcast. Hello, Brad. This is Colton Schwantner from the Desert Tiger Podcast. How's it going? Great, Colton. How's it going with you? I am fantastic. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, in all honesty, when I heard I had the opportunity to interview for 5440, I was actually kind of mind blown. Oh, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's going to be fun. It's uh, I uh, I like I like uh, conversation. Awesome. That that is a good thing. All right, so let's kick things off where it all started, Brad. So 5440 started back in 1981, is that correct? Uh, that's what we like to say. That's what uh, to say. It's a, yeah, it's a nice round number. I mean, uh, Neil and I uh, decided we were going to start a band more or less in, i say, early November 1980. Okay. And... And he had some songs written, and I learned those. Then we wrote some songs together, and then we learned a few covers. And our first uh, show was December 31st, 1980. So just kind of New Year's Eve, 1981, essentially. Okay. Yeah, so I, I, I like 81 because, you know, uh, that's, we kind of played into that year and been playing ever since. Okay, awesome. So what made you guys decide to actually get together and start up the band? Well, uh, it started actually, uh, these conversations probably started when uh, we were either in grade 11 or between grade 11 and grade 12. Okay. Um, you know, uh, Neil came, I, I was living in Tawasson, which is a little bedroom community of, uh, of Vancouver to the south of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, minding my own business, going to to uh, social studies class and into walks this uh, new kid in uh, kind of the middle of the school year and kind of a lanky pasty white fellow and uh, <laughs> that's an interesting looking guy kind of with paint stains on his jeans and all this kind of stuff you know he seems a bit different I think he wore a cardigan too if I wasn't so definitely mistaken. stood out <laughs> he stood out you know and he wasn't afraid to stand out right and um Anyway, so we started to converse a little bit in that class, and then the, the uh, following year we were in English together and and history together, and uh, bec- we became friends. And uh, I introduced him to some of my friends, and uh, we started going to concerts together and talking about music. And before too long, I was going to his house. We were kind of playing guitar together and you know learning songs, and and so we've always had this sort of thing in common. And then he went off to at the end of high school, mm-hmm. uh, he went to Berkeley uh, School of Music in Boston for a semester or two, and, and I did a couple of years at college. Okay. And then I started working my uh, the family business, which is a foundry in Surrey, and, and Neil came back and kind of worked as a laborer uh, that summer, and, and uh, he was kind of looking for something to do. He was like, taking some piano lessons and some guitar lessons and uh, kind of starting to explore artistically, you know, uh, mm-hmm. write some songs. And then he started a little band with his brother, who was, who was a very musical guy, and they played, they gigged around for a while. And that gave him some valuable experience, and then, um, you know, a little bit of a taste, and uh, he called me up and said, let's start a band. And I, I actually could kind of bug him to do that anyway, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I, I knew a drummer, 
a guy I'd met through a friend at, at, at uh, Douglas College. And so we started kind of jamming around a little bit, and, and we had this very distinct sound uh, and, and uh, you know, some common influences, and uh, uh, we just kind of took it from there. And mm-hmm. that's, how, that's how, how, how it began. Okay, awesome. So you guys' name comes from uh, the saying 5440 or fight by uh, United States President James Polk. Is that something that you guys were learning about in history class together? Or how did you guys end up coming, like settling on that name? Okay, so yeah, it's not specifically uh, uh, that we learn about uh, manifest destiny and and uh, you know American expansionism, um, uh, mm-hmm. but but we we have this common interest in history, you know, okay. it's, it's this, and we still do history and geopolitics, and uh, so uh, we both were were in the suburb where I lived four blocks from the border. He lived six blocks from the border. Um, we were from British Columbia, which is the area that James Polk was talking about. You know, he wanted mm-hmm. to take over the whole West Coast. Yeah. Right to the southern tip of the Alaska panhandle. Yeah. So, um, it and we, you know, when it came time to choose a name, I, I think I wrote out about 60 names. I just sort of did kind of a stream of consciousness kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I had all these things. And we had, you know, the Safeway Rebels and the Bridgeview Dogs and a bunch of other adjective noun names, you know, yeah. the Boomtown Rats or the Rolling Stones or whatever, you know. <laughs> and that's all. The, I'm not saying anything. They're all they're tragically hip for that matter. Yeah. All very good names. It's just that we just didn't want to do that. Yeah. You know? And so we were looking for something a bit more iconic, a bit more esoteric, you know, something kind of okay. smaller in size, but maybe bigger in stature, mm-hmm. you know. Definitely. And uh, yeah, so and, and so we we just decided, you know, let's, let's go with the numbers. So we said fifty four forty, and c- coincidentally, actually, when we started playing a lot of shows in Seattle, uh, ran into a guy. He goes, "Yeah," he goes, "You know, I you know when I started my band, we were considering that name." And then you guys came along, and that name was taken. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if, yeah, it's a funny thing this name because mm-hmm. it's it obviously it defines us now, you know, and people, but but uh, at the time it it seemed kind of strange. And uh, Neil likes to play with uh, you know the fact that I came up with the name, and I either get the uh, the credit or, or the blame, right? So, yeah, <laughs> it works both ways. Depending on how how much you like the name or not. Mm-hmm, true. <laughs> awesome. So let's talk a little bit more about the early times. So you guys um, started to break out a little bit on that uh, self titled album, the Green album, as most people call it. Um, sure. Yeah. So how was that like starting to break out into Canada? What was that like back in the eighties for you guys? Right. Well, previous to that, we uh-huh. we'd kind of uh, you know tried to sort of uh, ingratiate ourselves to the local scene. You know, we were always going to shows, seeing other bands, and then asking them if we could you know play you know hall gigs with them and all that kind of stuff. And so yeah. we started to do that a little bit. We got involved with some people who who were had this little side this project called the. Uh, uh, Motamu, which is short for modern dance music, and uh, so we it was kind of like um, a coalition, a cooperative, more like. And uh, mm. 
So so uh, we did a record with two other bands, a compilation record, where we all did four four songs each. Okay. And then uh, then we did a little EP uh, on Motomu uh, called Selection. Mm-hmm. And then and then we we really started to break in a in a in a kind of an indie way was on an album called uh, Set the Fire. Yeah, your actual uh, first full length album, right? Actual. That's right. So, and we, you know, we know we pressed two thousand copies, and we we're all mm-hmm. very excited. And so, um, and we distributed ourselves. We got all these little local distributors, mostly up down the west coast. Is kind of what we concentrated on. Yeah. And and uh, uh, Sub Pop uh, in Seattle uh, put uh, the song "Sound of Truth" on their compilation. They used to put these uh, uh, compilation cassettes together of sounds from the Pacific Northwest and mm-hmm. so so you know uh, you know we're getting some action at college radio and we'd be going down to California and major label uh, record companies would come and see us play and so we started actually starting this dialogue with people kind of in 1984 okay. and then we spent most of 1985 making the record you're talking about we called the green record or the green album mm-hmm. which has uh, baby baby ran and I go blind on it among others mm-hmm and uh, so, so uh, that summer, and and but we, we, we you know, we we're kind of losing energy on doing the whole indie thing. It's, yeah, it's tough, you know, to 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 wear all these different hats. And we wanted to concentrate on trying to make music and present ourselves and write and record. And so we were looking for a label to put this out on. Mm-hmm. And and we did a little tour. Uh, well, actually, uh, Daryl Dudorf, our drummer, left in August of. 2000 and, or not sort of 1985 and uh and and we got matt johnson to join us so it was uh matt and phil and neil and myself mm-hmm. and uh, we rehearsed intently and then we did a show at the town pump and then down the west coast and that's when we started talking to major labels and we got a lot of interest from capital and and warner brothers specifically and ends up signing to warner brothers mm-hmm. in the spring of 86 and and then we remixed the green record down there with a fellow by the name of Dave Jordan. And it came out, I think I'm pretty sure in June, in June of 1986. Mm-hmm. So that's how that, that started to get going. And, and then, uh, you know, we did a, uh, uh, a video uh, with uh, Tamara Davis and that got lots of airplay on, on MTV in New York. And mm-hmm. we started to tour on that record did a whole North American tour. And, um, so, you know, we were we were, we were kind of off and running at that time. Yeah. And then you guys were sort of more embraced by Canada more so than the United States at that time, though, were you not? Mm, nope, not yet. Okay. <laughs> that's coming. Ah. That's, that's the next, yeah, I, I, we were definitely, had more activity, were able to make more money, play for more people in the United States than Canada. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, we had, you know, a uh, slight setback uh, in the sense that uh, in 1986, there was this big uh, radio payola scandal, which broke out uh, one, of the, one of these uh, TV uh, investigative journalism shows <clears throat> yeah. uh, exposed this. And so um, uh, we got kind of caught in, the, in, the, in this uh, period of time. Before mm-hmm. record companies actually had their own in-house promotion 
ways of, of, of promoting us to radio. Yeah. And uh, and and when it, when the independent promoters were not happening, so so it was kind of a slog for us. But we I don't know how many sold thirty or thirty five thousand copies of records. In fact, one of the some of the people who bought the record were were the guys in Hootie and the Blowfish. Like that was a big influence on them. That that Green record. Yeah. But it. Yeah, but but you know we weren't doing much in Canada at the time. Okay. Uh, we played shows. Um, we finally made it to Toronto on that record because we mm-hmm. were pretty much like I say, kind of a West Coast band before that. Yeah, yeah. But but so the next record uh, on on uh, Warner Brothers mm-hmm. was a record called Show Me, which had One Day in Your Life and One Gun, um, and that record, uh, which we did down in Los Angeles. Uh, we tried to make inroads in kind of radio in, in the United States, and it was mm-hmm. it was a tough slog. It, a lot of resistance uh, for a lot of reasons, um, but that's when Canada kind of glommed onto it. It was a record that had some you know commercial radio appeal, especially the song "One Day in Your Life" did very very well at radio, and also mm-hmm. of course uh, much music was a big driver of of uh, interest in in uh, new music acts, and and so. You know that record went gold in Canada, and, and that, that kind of started to. That was the start of becoming kind of a you know a, a bigger kind of uh, new rock act in Canada. Okay, uh, but not but we're kind of treading our water in, in the U.S. at the time. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. All right. So then, how did you guys end up working into '89's "Fight for Love"? So. Uh, yeah, that's our Warner Brothers Swan song, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and we determined as a band that you know we were because uh, we the Show Me record nobody in the band really liked the record. Okay, <laughs> you know we felt that the kind of the record company and the producer kind of exerted too much influence and it kind of got away from the sound that we wanted to create for ourselves in a way of mm-hmm. that we wanted to present ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we kind of said, if we're going to fail, <laughs> well, we're mm-hmm. going to fail on our own terms. We're not going to fail on the record company's terms. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so we got the budget and we got, we got, uh, Dave Ogilvie, uh, to produce it, who, who did the green record with us and mm-hmm. was the engineer on set the fire and is, and is a close personal friend. And um, did it in Vancouver rather than Los Angeles. So you know, once again, we have more control. And and Neil, uh, you know, uh, he he's an artist and mm-hmm. he is a creator. And uh, that period of time, you know, he would, he was uh, he had a wife that was very much involved with uh, you know documenting atrocities in, in South America and and uh, was uh, she was. Uh, very active in Amnesty International, mm-hmm. and uh, so Neil's becoming, you know, more more politically aware. And then he's got a a, a newborn baby, you know, uh, and so he and he, he just just read, uh, you know, uh, uh, Don Quixote. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so he's he's got all the stuff swimming around, and so he he he, he uh, sort of the lyrical. Um, a focal point mm-hmm. uh, is created by the by the um, the coming together of you know those three things in his his life and, and that moment in time, and 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 uh, fight for love is kind of the the you know the creative output 
of of those kind of influences in his life. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So and it's a yeah, and it's it's a he he, he it's purposely kind of um, creates a kind of a, a, these lyrics which come from a naive place, a naive hopeful place, and uh, so it's 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 the the record, the sound of the record. Um, the arrangements, the lyrics, mm-hmm. the way it's sung, uh, sort of ha- has it. There's this kind of uh, uh, defiance yet vulnerability at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you listen to this rec- the record, it's it hangs together pretty well right now. Uh, it's a good sounding record, so we're very proud of that record. Yeah. Uh, um, but you know uh, that record was kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of signified the, the end of uh, our relationship with the Warner Brothers in the United States. Um, they didn't have any kind of ego involved in it. We made it all on our own. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have much commercial success. Uh, and it kind of treaded water in Canada. And mm-hmm. we could have very easily hung it up there and, and uh, got real jobs after that. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, things looked like a, a lot little of our... dire after that situation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, exactly. It's, it, 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 it was uh, absolutely. It looked a little dire, and um, we, you know, one could question our viability mm-hmm. uh, at that time. <laughs> okay, so did that yeah. situation like lead, he- like influence heavily into your guys's creative process after that? Yes, yes, it, it did. Um, uh, you know, uh, we, uh, <laughs> we had kind of learned how to become a rock band because mm-hmm. before that we were kind of this, we were kind of, kind of, kind of this kind of, you know, this rock ensemble, but played kind of this kind of arty, uh, moody kind of, uh, music. And, yeah. uh, you know, with getting mad on drums and, and just becoming, you know, a little more assertive and, you know, changing our guitar tone and sort of where we were at uh, in terms of how we wanted to present ourselves and, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of Neil's lyrical focus. We were becoming more uh, rock-oriented, you know, and it, it's where our interests lay. And uh, so, um, uh, and then, of course, you know, we're at a, once again, we're at a point where, well, we can, we, you know, once you sort of, you know, go through this existential crisis and you realize mm-hmm. that you want to come out on the other side and you think you have more to create, more to offer, more reason to be together than not be together, then you, you know, you kind of bear down and do the work. And so we, we you know, wrote, uh, I don't know, 25 or 30 songs over the course of about a year and a half, mm-hmm. demoed them, and then uh, signed to uh, Sony Music Canada um, and uh, did the, the Dear Dear record with them. Mm-hmm. And which you know became our biggest selling record in in Canada by a, a long shot. We were fortunate enough to be able to tour in support of Tom Cochran, who was uh, doing the Life as, as a Highway tour. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, so we were playing in front of you know tens of thousands of people, uh, you know, in every single market in Canada, getting mm-hmm. lots of radio attention on our singles, and then that's a record that went gold, and then finally went platinum, and and that 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 started to, you know, um, uh, really solidify kind of what we started with, uh, Canada with the, with the show me record. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then we just sort of went from there, you know, I mean, Sony, uh, 
you know, they, they would give us the budget, let us make the record that we wanted, you know, mm-hmm. with, uh, with, with consultation. And uh, so we, the records became more reflective of uh, who we truly are and, you know, the way we wanted to present ourselves. I mean, obviously, that's every record to the, up to the green record was like that. Mm-hmm. Show me was a bit of a what was not, yeah. And then you know, like I said, we we kind of asserted ourselves, and that was mostly kind of a Neil thing with the fight for love thing. And but mm-hmm. then we were with with dear dear, we were you know kind of confident as a band, and and it became kind of our you know the start of a or the restart of our of kind of the new fifty four forty sound. Okay, so sort of a rebirth type scenario. I, yeah, in every sense, Colton. You know, I mean, we had a new lease on life with uh, Sony. We had a like it was like a six or a seven record deal with them, and and uh, you know, a platinum record, and going to make another one, and a good relationship with all the people there, and everything's kind of firing on all cylinders. You mm-hmm. know, I just signed a big publishing deal with Sony ATV, and um, a merchandising deal, and. Uh, you know, we're all finally able to quit all of our day jobs, <laughs> mm, mm, mm. you know, even though we're signed a record label, major labels before that, you know, it's like, you know, we're still kind of an indie act. We're still uh, yeah. a baby act as they call it. And uh, so, you know, it's a process. It's not, uh, uh, we're not, we're not an overnight sensation by any stretch. Mm-hmm. So, so that was quite liberating. And then we go into, into, uh, um, Smiling Buddha Cabaret, mm-hmm. and uh, which you know, a huge exploration, uh, very much a stripped down, uh, raw sound, kind of a lo-fi element to it. Um, uh, more kind of a sonic exploration of mm-hmm. rock music, or as as we hear it, and uh, you know, we take the uh, take the listener on a little bit of a a little bit of a trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a there's a psychedelic swirly uh you know rock quartet sound going on there mm-hmm. lo-fi rock quartet sound and uh that you know that that's i think that that is probably neil's uh favorite record that the band's created mm-hmm. which, which had uh blame your parents Asaholic. Radio Love Song and mm-hmm. uh, Ocean Pearl, and those are all still their mainstays in, in our in our live set, right? mm-hmm. as they should be. I mean, all of them are great yeah. songs. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, moving on, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, trusted by a millions, um, which is kind of like kind of the commercial peak of the band. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, it sold. I don't know somewhere around 150,000 copies in Canada, and, and uh, had some limited releases in other places as well. Uh, and the singles on that were "Lies to Me" and um, uh, "Don't Tell Me," "Love You All," mm-hmm. and "Crossing the Canyon." Mm-hmm. So, so you know, it's it's uh, it's all all uh, part of our personal, you know, artistic and and career journey. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we did take a left turn after that uh, with, uh, well, I, I, the, uh, we did the 
the since when record. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, which is interesting because uh, this this there's not a rock song on it. <laughs> no, not at all. But it's still yeah. just yeah. a solid album, though. And yeah, so it, some pe- that's some people's favorite record that we've ever done too. So, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I. I that record did not go platinum. It went gold. It sold almost platinum. It mm-hmm. was, uh, so, um, a record that we're extremely proud of, uh, love every song, love the way it sounds, stand behind it. And of course, since when and lost and lazy are staples in the, in the live set now. Mm-hmm. I think that's, and, oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I think that's around the time that I actually started to get into the band. Cause I was around like eight at that time. And my dad was like, sure getting me into Canadian music. And I think since when has got to probably be like my favorite song from the entire catalog. Oh, well, that's great. That's good to hear. Mm-hmm. The, um, yeah. So that, and that's kind of, uh, you know, the working title of that song was, uh, Ray Charles before we had oh, wow. a, <laughs> yeah, before we had a, uh, 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 you know, an actual title and the lyrics are completed and it went mm-hmm. through a few iterations before we got it the way we wanted. But, um, so, I mean, the way it works, at least for us, and I think there's other artists that are like this too, it's about mm-hmm. exploring your own musicality and your own creativity. And so where it takes you is where it takes you, and it may not always be in sort of commercial directions. And uh, that record is, uh, you know, is, is it represents that, that kind of thinking. So. Um, like a complete left turn for us, uh, departure, especially after Trusted by Millions, which is kind of this sort of power pop, you know, power chord kind of uh, pop song kind of way of doing things. And, mm-hmm. and since when is, you know, obviously more um, ethereal, more folky, um, um, more introspective. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I cut this kind of a kind of a retro sound to it in terms of instrumentation and how it was produced. Um, more timeless has more time rather worse. Trusted by millions was very much of its time. So yes, I can uh, agree with yeah. that. Yeah. So and then then uh, along we we uh, we went on the road with that and recorded a bunch of live dates and then we released the heavy mellow live record. Hmm. Uh, which, uh, once again, is, is a record that we're very proud of. It's a great sounding record, and, and uh, a lot of the songs that we've already talked about off mm-hmm. the various records are well-represented live on that. Yeah, you and, guys kind of uh, do like a mix on that one, right? Where it's sort of like heavy yeah, rock and then yeah. like acoustic? Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right, exactly. It's the title, right? Yeah. Play on heavy metal. It's... it's mm-hmm. um, so, you know, it's, 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 you know, the way I look at it is, uh, uh, you know, it's a double CD set, right? So mm-hmm. depending upon your mood, you know, if, you know, you want to kick out the jams like MC5, yeah. you know, you throw on the, the one, it's got, uh, all the Sheila and, you know, nice to love you and all that stuff on it. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's, you know, with all the rock endings and life and all that, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is more, uh, you know, Ocean Pearl and, I think I, Ocean Pearl actually might be on both of them, if I'm not mistaken, because it might be different versions. But yeah, and then a mellower version of Crossing the Canyon and uh, Laughing and those kinds of songs, One Gun, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
Yeah, it, I'm glad that, that that's been documented, you know. Mm. Um, and uh, it's funny, you'll, you'll still hear the uh, that version of uh, Ocean Pearl on the radio. It's that live version that where, where Coco sings uh, kind of scat vocals and solos on it. And uh, and that was a lot of fun to make. We, yes. that, that whole tour was a, was a real joy. That it, it is a fantastic live version. So, like, I can understand why it still gets played because, yeah, that is so cool. Like, I love how you guys have like gone back and looked at your different music and like incorporated different styles to it and stuff. Like, yeah, that is really awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and and we're gonna get to that record. Yes, we are. right now you yes, and I we we're, we're kind of we're kind of. We're kind of working through the history, the We're discography. Working We're working there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the next one mm-hmm. uh, would be "Don't Tell Me." Um, it's got uh, casual viewing on it. What's that record called? Um, I can see it. I can see the record. Oh, what's it? it's called? Casual viewing. It is called casual viewing. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Hey, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a trick question. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, which is kind of fun because you know, I think that the record cover was taken uh, on a rooftop in in uh, Casablanca, Morocco. Mm-hmm. Um, we went around the world and, and uh, did the casual viewing uh, video and, uh, and and also the pictures, which became you know kind of the packaging mm-hmm. for the uh, the record um, and. and you know, it's it's uh, uh, it was a fun, it was a groovy record. It was a simple groovy record. We did it all in our own studio, with our own gear, uh, on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know if it's the best sounding record we ever did, uh, but it's it's it was one of the most fun records we ever did. It's one of the grooviest records we've ever done. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, casual viewing once again is. You know, uh, a staple in our in our live set, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but that was kind of signaling the beginning of the end of our relationship with uh, uh, Sony, and and also with the sort of the uh, that was well into the decline of major record labels. Mm-hmm. Uh, For sure, you know, you know, we at that point, uh, you know, Sony was a uh, was a real force in Canada. It was. Uh, they had a building uh, in North York, north of Toronto, where uh, they had a studio, a sound stage, uh, a video production department. Um, they actually manufactured their own CDs. They printed their own posters. They had promotion, marketing, A&R, administration, sales. And it was, uh, you know, with trucks going in and out and, and that was very much of the uh, sort of the pre-digital economy, <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure. And, and then with the advent of Napster and and file sharing, uh, uh, Sony uh, essentially combined with uh, BMG, the old RCA, mm-hmm. and became this you know very small office in the center of Toronto that uh, just sort of tried to keep uh, you know afloat just like everybody else in the music business at that time so mm-hmm. what once again this is you know where you could go we, it's, we went through another sort of existential moment and 
have to think about, you know, whether you want to decide to still be a band and mm -hmm. if you still had more to create. And, um, and that's where, you know, uh, you know, Neil came up with the idea. It's like, well, I think, uh, I think I've got a hundred more songs and you know, let's do a hundred songs, you mm. know? And, uh, there's still, there's still a solid base of support for this band mm -hmm. and we still feel we have more to create. So, you know, why go out there and get real jobs when you can, uh, when you can do what you want to do? Uh, not that there's anything wrong with getting a real job. I've worked no. it for years and years and, and I love that. But, mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, this is where we, uh, find ourselves most fulfilled. So being able to create new music and, and to share it. So we press on and, uh, we do, um, Goodbye Flatland, which was the last record with Phil. Mm hmm and uh, uh, Phil was going off through all sorts of personal problems and it just became untenable that we, we tried to help him work through that but it wasn't going to work yeah and yeah and he let, he left and I think he was glad to go and uh, it was a bit of relief uh, and we brought in Dave Gen, who was very anxious to get to work and brought a whole sort of new energy and way of looking at things and mm. uh, and we did the Yes to Everything record Okay. Uh, which he was a very big part of creating that sound. You know, songs like uh, uh, Easy to Love, uh, which kind of uh, is, is quite often the song that we open with, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and then the summer festival circuit. <laughs> um, and uh, the song This Is Here, This Is Now, which is uh, a mainstay in our acoustic performances. Uh, and the band really enjoys playing that. Um and then, uh, so now we're kind of back in in the independent world. We're signed to True North Records, which okay. is uh, Bernie Finkelstein. Yeah. 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 And uh, we do uh, another record uh, called uh, Northern Soul. Um, and then uh, we do a, another independent record. Uh, uh, what the hell is that one called, Colton? Lost in the city. There you go. Lost in the city. I can once again. I can see the. I can see. I can see it. I just can't. <laughs> I can't read the title. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. It's a lovely song at six eight time, and uh, also has uh, Feast of Ida on mm. it. And uh, um, yeah, it's you know, it's uh, we're back kind of in the indie world. Um, uh, and, and shortly after that record was done, uh, we started to actually do the record that just came out this year, the Keep On Walking record. The, the genesis of that record started in January, February of 2013. Oh, with a, wow. With about tw tw 21 or 22 jams that the band had kind of worked up and that, that Neil started to work in the songs yeah. very, very slowly over the course of the next uh, four years or so. Mm -hmm. But Colton in the interim... We uh, we did the acoustic record, yes. uh, La Difference, uh, History Unplugged, and that's of course what we're touring on right now. I'm in, I'm speaking to you from uh, a hotel room in uh, Kelowna. We're about to play uh, tonight at the uh, Civic Theater here, uh, doing a, an acoustic reinterpretation of mm -hmm. yeah of some of uh, of our catalog. I am literally in Kamloops, and if I could have made the show, I definitely would have. 
right? But you can't, so you won't. So you'll I, see us next time. I can't, unfortunately, and I really want to see you next time because every time you guys have ever came through Regina, which is where I used to live before, you guys sold out before I ever had the chance to like grab my ticket. So it was just like I've never actually seen yeah. fifty four forty. Like the last time you guys played Regina on uh, the like um sorry I can't pronounce it uh like uh la difference is like yes yeah the last time you guys toured through on that like i got offered a ticket like the day of the show and like literally could not take it and i was heartbroken yeah well you're in camelots now Mm -hmm. and uh and we haven't played uh camelots on on this record so there's every possibility that the next year we'll we'll pop up there and and do that the desert tiger podcast all right, you guys, I hope you're enjoying this interview with Brad Merritt from 5440. Don't worry, we still have a lot of interview left. We're going to talk more about La Difference. We're going to talk more about the album they just dropped. We're going to talk more about some other things that are going on in Brad's life and otherwise. We're going to talk a whole lot of stuff. We still have a lot of conversation, but of course, we have to pay some bills we got to play you a track off the difference. So we still have a lot of great time left to be had. So of course I have to kick things off with collar and elbow. You heard me talk about it when we kicked off the show. Wrestling inspired streetwear company started by Mr. Al Snow. If you use the code DTP you save 10%. Well, let me tell you, though, WrestleMania is right around the corner, and the prices at Collar and Elbow are going to be so low that you aren't going to know what to do. You're going to be going crazy trying to pick up everything, and of course, while everything is on sale, whether it's on 25% sale, 33% sale, 50% sale, whether it's the Spring Line, the 2018 Collection the 2017 collection, whatever it is. When you use that code DTP, you're going to save yourself 10%, an extra 10% off those WrestleMania sale prices. So go ahead and get yourself a deal, brother. Like I said, we're going to play a track off the difference. And like I said earlier in the podcast, this has probably got to be my favorite song from across all of 5440's catalog. So to hear this in this different style is very awesome. This is Since When.
Make it believable, love can be beautiful. That is so true, and it is a great way to lead into our next sponsor, Audible. Because just like that song, and just like love itself, Audible likes making all their stories just as believable and just as lovable as possible. And like I said earlier in the show, if you go to www.audible.com slash DTP, Audible is going to go ahead and hook you up with one free month of the Audible service plus one free audio book. And you can literally use that on any audio book 
that is in their service no matter how much it costs. You can use it on science fiction. You can use it on some general fiction. You can use it on self-help. You can use it on a biography. You can use it on nonfiction. You can use it on literally any audiobook that they have in their service. And let me tell you, Audible has thousands upon thousands upon thousands of different novels, different types of novels, all in audiobook form. All ready for you. All you have to do is go to www.audible.com DTP. Once again, that is www.audible.com DTP to try out an amazing service and get yourself one free audiobook. What is there to lose? All right, let's get back into our interview with Brad Merritt of 5440. The Desert Tiger Podcast. So how did you guys sort of end up making the decision to take a break on finishing your like album that's just like coming out soon or has come out? I'm not sure. Keep on walking. Yeah, it came out uh, January 26th. Okay. Um, your website now, said it now, was for pre-order, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll talk to them about that. Yeah. So well, how did you guys end up coming to the decision to like take the break in between recording and finishing that album and to take a look back at some of your older songs and to not only like give them the acoustic style but to also like incorporate the different instrumentations and everything else like that well it it gets back to what we were talking about earlier where you have to sort of follow you know where you're where where things take you you Mm -hmm. know where 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 you're led you have to you know where you're compelled to go as a creator and um uh, kind of the idea uh, stemmed from a conversation between uh, Neil and Dave, and it was about the song "Crossing the Canyon." And mm-hmm. Neil tells the story in the live show. Uh, uh, Dave, I guess, had spent some time listening to the song, and he said uh, it's, it seems to be a juxtaposition between huh, the you know the musical presentation, mm-hmm. which is kind of this kind of power chord, you know, big rock thing, yeah, uh, and 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 the lyrics, which seem you know kind of down, it seems to be this very uh, serious um, moment that mm-hmm. you know the, uh, a, a kind of a moment of questioning you know, of personal crisis. And Neil, so Neil said, "Okay, well, I'll tell you how it came about." And he told the story to Dave about his father who was dying of cancer mm-hmm. at the time and and was going through chemotherapy. And Neil was very much involved in you know taking his father to hospital visits and chemotherapy and this kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he, he wanted to have this, you know, the conversation, this conversation you want to have with your, 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 your parent uh, in, in this time. And uh, so he's, you know, he initiated that, which was very stressful for him, I mean, to, to do that. And then mm-hmm. his father, who was of a, of a generation that, uh, didn't talk about these kinds of things that was very stoic. He was a world war two veteran and, and, uh, 
they did, he just kind of kind of shut shut down the conversation, but with a way of saying, "I know what you're trying to say, and I understand." So mm-hmm. That's 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 the canyon. That's the chasm that you have to have to cross, and 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 uh, how difficult it is to do that, mm-hmm. and, and and how fraught it is with with peril, you know, with with emotional emotional risk, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so 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 Dave went away. You know, understanding, having a greater understanding of the song, where it came from, and he said. So he says to Neil, he goes, he goes "I've kind of, I've worked up something here uh, on this song. I'm going to sit down at the piano. He has got this grand piano, you know, it's just a beautiful thing, and mm-hmm. and and he just taps the taps the uh, a key. He goes, here's your first note. Uh, you start on this, and I'm going to just going to play some chords, and uh, we're going to see how it goes here." Mm-hmm. And so Neil starts to sing, and then Dave just gives it this minor chord treatment, you know. And it was this beautiful, open, uh, cinematic, um, authentic uh, version of this song that, you know, mm-hmm. that we had never heard before. And it just, it, it really opened our eyes and ears to the possibility of, of that song and what it could be. And, and, and it gave us the energy and the impetus to, to try that with other songs in our catalog. So, mm-hmm. so we just kind of dropped, we dropped, you know, the record, this new record, keep on walking in the middle mm-hmm. and we booked some studio time and we had, then we also said at the end of the studio time, these gigs where we were going to play these songs and we never even had the arrangements, but we brought in Daniel Lapp as a multi-instrumentalist with us. And we brought in three wonderful, uh, a female uh, background vocalists and, and there's a sense of urgency, so we did some pre-production and and and, and uh, worked out their vocal arrangements, and then how we were going to present ourselves, and how our parts would change, and what instruments we're going to change or, or you know play, and and uh, it was it was something that came together very very quickly with a sense of urgency, which was so different than what we'd experienced, you know, kind of you know working so hard on this this record, uh, but not really kind of getting anywhere because we, we felt we could take as much time as we want and work with as many producers as we wanted, and, mm-hmm. which is all great. You know, I, I love what we've created with Keep On Walking. Yeah. But it was a long, laborious process with, you know, four different producers and uh, different uh, cities recorded in. And, you know, so so this this was something that we could actually kind of, uh, not that, you know, I want to say whip off, but it, it wasn't really whip off because it required a lot of hard work, but it was something we could do very quick if we, you know, if we uh, attacked it, you know, kind of while, while we had the energy to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. And that's why we did it. And, 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 and that's, the, that's the reason why we did it the way we did it. Mm-hmm. And so that not, only, not only did we get it done, we actually had it released in short order as well and then toured on it. And we feel it's something that we could continue to tour on, you know, every other year mm-hmm. for as long as we're a band. Because it's, it turns out that, that, that people want to see us that way. They want to hear the songs presented this way. They want to hear the stories of how and why these songs were created and and, and get to know the, the band better and have a more intimate experience with mm-hmm. uh, our songs and, and, and the music and, and with the band. So... Um, it's been a very rewarding thing. Uh, it's gone over very well. Almost every show is sold out on this last tour of uh, twelve or fifteen shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's it's an it's an exciting time. It definitely is. It's 
it is nice because you're presenting the songs in a different way and like for you guys it's definitely new for you to hear it but it's also new for the audience and for them it opens up the song in an entirely different light where maybe it meant something to them when they heard it back in the 80s or the 90s or the early 2000s and now it's shown in this completely different light and it can have an entirely new meaning to it yes new or enhanced or Mm. like say different yes or just just an extra appreciation uh, of the song that wasn't there before so um yeah there's lots that comes out of it there there really is and uh, we feel that we get a lot out of it and uh and um you know, I think what we appreciate, whether we're, you know, whether I go see other bands and I'm, and I'm listening to them or whether I'm playing, mm-hmm. is the sense of the sense of uh, community, this uh, mm-hmm. this communal aspect to to playing live. It's something that will never ever be replaced. It is it is just uh, it's an important uh, kind of cultural <laughs> cultural thing that. Um, that uh, that we we appreciate you know profoundly. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. It's like you can pick up an album or you can buy a song, but it never gives you the actual memories and experiences that you achieve and receive when you actually see it live. Yes. Yeah, I agree. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I tell my son, you know, I told him he's 24 now, but he's probably 21 or when I talked about this. I said, you know, I said, when I was your age and younger and a little bit older, I went to a lot of shows. You know, all the money that I made went to either to buying records or seeing seeing live music. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, you know, I said, my biggest regret about all that is that I didn't see more. <laughs> You know, it's not like that I saw this show and it was bad or, you know, it, it's, it's, there was so much else that I could have seen that I wish I had seen. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, and I think, I think that, that, uh, people are starting to rediscover live music and its importance. And, uh, we're grateful for that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Is I f- also feel that it's starting to come back again where people are starting to realize cause for a while, they were starting to hole up in their homes and get comfy and everything else. And I think they're starting yeah. to realize that they're missing those experiences. I, I agree. That's exactly it. I, this, uh, yeah, there's a lot of sort of cocooning going on. <laughs> but, but I think that that's that's that 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 time has passed. I'm not I'm not saying that you know that, that you know TVs aren't going to get bigger and clearer and people gonna have better whatever. And that's mm. all fine. Uh, I'm into that too. But there's nothing like uh, going out and uh, and seeing a live band. Nothing. No, it, it can't be matched at all. Yeah, I mean I've, I've seen DVDs. We've mm. made a DVD, and there's some good ones out there. Mm-hmm. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Oh, not at all. As I've watched numerous performances of bands uh, doing festivals in Europe and everything, but it's like seeing the same band in a 300-person venue in the middle of Saskatchewan gives me more. <laughs> yeah, I agree. 
I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get into your guys' newest album, Keep On Walking. What kind of led you guys to there? I mean, it took a little bit of time to release, a little bit of time to work on. Um, Tell me a bit about it. Like, what are some of the ideas behind it? What are some of, like, the things you're trying to convey? Like, why did it take so long for you guys to actually produce it? Oh, those are all good and difficult questions, but I will attempt to answer them. Uh, the, the, um, I think, I think that, that, you know, we've been doing this for so long mm-hmm. and, and, uh, you know, we're a little older now and, uh, you know, sort of like, um, energy is like this really all important commodity, right? And it's, mm-hmm. if you, if it, if it dissipates, then, you know, it takes a while to get things going again. Mm-hmm. And w- without, without a, uh, 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 a record deal, yeah. uh, where, cause in a record deal, what happens is you get, you get, a, the record company asks for a record, then they advance you some money mm-hmm. and then they say, we want, we want a record. So there's this, there's this impetus to create, right? You've got to, you got to get it done. Mm-hmm. But when you're, when you're indie and you've already made, you know, countless records, and written so many songs and it's like there really isn't any of that. So you really have to sort of find your own reasons. So mm-hmm. with us, we knew we were going to take a long time. I mean, yeah. that was, that was actually, that was actually by design. I mean, we said, uh, there's no urgency here, you know, let's, and you know, we, we rewrote songs, you know, we wrote lyrics. We, 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 we recorded the same song over with different producers. Uh, mm-hmm. we know we wanted to work with four producers. We wanted to work with four they're essentially friends of ours uh, that we've either known and wanted to work with, like Gavin Brown, or guys that we've worked with many times before, like uh, Dave Ogilvie, uh, Stephen Drake. Um, don't tell me, uh, or Garth Richardson. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's, it's uh, um, uh, it takes a while to, or, you know, for their schedule to come clear, ours to come clear, to get the four of us together. We all have other things that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of that's just kind of being patient, working through it, and taking your time, and and uh, understanding that that uh, it's going to come eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what it did. I mean, it was literally almost five years to the day that okay. you know uh, that between kind of starting to write the songs and dropping the record. So, um, but like I said, you know, we, you know, we talked about earlier, we, we also did a record in between that too, yeah, in the middle sure. of that. So, um, it's just the way it worked out, you know? And, uh, as far as, you know, uh, what the record is about and, and that kind of thing, I think essentially, um, uh, well, what I would like people to do actually is just to, you know, go to Spotify or Apple Music or wherever they get their their music these days, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, um, uh, figuratively drop the needle and and have a listen. It, it it the 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 way the the songs are laid out on the record mm-hmm. kind of kind of uh, mirrors our experience. Uh, as being a band, mm-hmm. you know, sort of from 2013 through to, to you know late 2017, 
and and some of the things that we went through kind of personally and and as a band <laughs> so <laughs> what i'm trying to say is is uh without uh trying it, it inadvertently became this you know kind of a concept album <laughs> huh. interesting and it yeah and it and it uh we go from you know uh uh kind of uh angst uh uh kind of a uh, a malaise um uh a sense of you know nothing's really really happening mm-hmm. uh to 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 let's kind of figure out a way and and uh you know these are these are the things that uh you know that one would have to overcome to to go on uh you know with your life in a in a way which is uh, uh productive and uh and and gratifying and and also in terms of the, of the way the uh the band operates as well and and um so lyrically i think the thing really is a is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Neil really outdid himself. Uh, and then keep on walking kind of speaks to that 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 that, that uh, it's about it's about perseverance, mm-hmm. um, and it's about accepting um, those things that, that 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 knowing that things are going to get in your way, that know that things uh, aren't easy, know that there's pain involved. You know, personally, professionally, whatever it is, um, and that that's p- part of life's experience. It's part of the human condition, and 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 it's about sort of getting on with it. And and uh, that's kind of what the record's about. Okay, awesome, awesome. So, as I was uh, listening to a few tracks off of it before I came in called use and i enjoyed them quite a bit like you guys did a really good job yeah well, i appreciate that colton i think that's like you say we stand behind it we're very proud you should be so, you definitely you. should be. thank you i appreciate it all right so do you have any stories or memories that stand out from over the years maybe meeting certain people Things you look back on and laugh on now that maybe you weren't as fond of when they happened. Achieve- <laughs> achievements that happened for the band that like just really meant a lot to you. Anything of that sort? Well, this, yeah, I get all of those things. And, and <laughs> it's quite funny that the reason why I laughed is because, you know, Neil tells, oh, I don't know, eight kind of short stories uh, over the course of the, of our, uh, of our live show, you know, and, uh, and, and a lot of what you're just, you know, we're asking about, he addresses, uh, in humorous fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if I were to list some of these things and, and also Neil talks about this is that, you know, our trip to the Soviet union in 1989 and playing the interchange festival at Luzhniki stadium, which is the stadium where, you know, Canada beat the Soviets in 1972 on Paul Henderson's goal. Mm-hmm. Um, was you know stands out. Um, that is super uh, cool. Yeah, it is. And then it is also he tells a story about you know we uh, headlined uh, uh, at Canada Day uh, the uh, the big uh, Toronto music festival. It's actually in Barrie at Molson Park, um, and. Uh, you know, so there's been some, you know, massive shows that we've played that were, 
quite fun. Also, we opened up for the Rolling Stones uh, mm -hmm. in 2005 at the Calgary Saddledome. Got a chance to meet all of them and, and talk with them. You know, went to Keith Richards' dressing room and, and uh, had a nice conversation with him and hung out with Ronnie Wood a lot mm -hmm. over the course of a couple, couple days, actually. And uh, what an amazing experience that was. Um, but, you know, it's, I am, I'm not the storyteller of the band. And uh, all, all, these, all these stories are told uh, uh, at the live show. So mm -hmm. I think if, um, if people really want to get it uh, straight from the horse's mouth, as they say, uh, mm -hmm. they're going to have to come and see the show. I'm sure a lot of Fair people enough. listening to your podcast have already seen it. So, but um, uh, that's where they're going to get it. Mm -hmm. Definitely, for sure. Okay, so you mentioned earlier that you guys were an influence on Hootie and the Blowfish, who actually ended up covering you guys. Have you ever ended up meeting up with the Hootie guys, and did their cover of your guys' song end up helping you break out in the States a little bit? Uh, okay, so the, the, the um, they were all went to school at the University of South Carolina, but two of them, uh, Mark and Dean... Uh, brothers are from uh, Maryland, and mm -hmm. uh, they would come and see us play uh, when we did a our, in Washington D.C. So it's just a short drive from where they were living in Maryland. Okay, and they so they they come and come they saw us there a couple times on a, a couple different tours, and they would come backstage and say, "We love you guys," and you know, we play all your songs, and we're kind of like a fraternity band down at University of South Carolina, and we know the whole Green record and. Then they proceed to, you know, kind of uh, drink our beer and eat our pizza and <laughs> <laughs> be slightly annoying. Yeah. But, you know, it was nice to get that kind of energy. And then we just heard that, hey, and they had recorded I Go Blind. And it was the B-side of uh, some single, uh, which I can't remember which one it was, um, uh, off the Cracked Rear View uh, album. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, sold like 50,000 copies of the single. And we're like, oh, that's very cool. So that was neither here nor there, but. It, we kind of wish it was on the record because it would have been, it would have been, uh, <laughs> the royalties would have been amazing because I think I sold about 17 million copies of that record, but oh, it was wow. the last record to be, it was mm -hmm. the last song to be cut off the record. So, mm -hmm. um, but an interesting thing happened. Uh, they released the next record and then we ended up opening up a bunch of shows for them in Canada. We played at GM place and, uh, we played in Edmonton and Calgary Saddle Dome and uh, Northland's Coliseum. And we also played in Prince George and Kamloops, I think. Okay. We played where the Blazers play. Hmm. Um, and we also played uh, in uh, the Bell Center in Montreal and the Corel Center in Ottawa, and we played uh, the Skydome with them, too, in Toronto. So, hmm. so which is great. Uh, and... Uh, you know, that record didn't sell nearly as much as the first record, as you can imagine. It's just impossible yeah. to do that two records in a row. No, uh, And they left, I, they, left, I, they left I Go Blind off that, but what had happened is that I Go Blind mm -hmm. had, had become the, the, the de facto fifth or sixth single off the, off the uh, first record because, because um, uh, they gave it away to um, the TV show uh, Friends, okay. which uh, released, it, re released it on their soundtrack album. Mm-hmm. And that sold, I don't know, two or three million copies or whatever. And even though it wasn't released as a single on that record, radio started to play it mm -hmm. down there. 
So um, uh, it became a big song. It was uh, it got to I think number three on the Billboard Hot AC, and it was one of the fifty most uh, played songs on radio uh, in the United States for that year, which was I think it was ninety seven, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then uh, so Neil and I and our manager Alan flew down to Los Angeles and accepted an award from uh, ASCAP down there mm. for that, which is quite, quite neat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's meant a lot. It's meant a lot of royalties for mm. us, uh, which is, which is good, especially for Neil. <laughs> so, uh, that, so that's a, so it's, it's a fantastic thing for us. It really was a fantastic thing. That, and uh, Neil's got a very funny story. So I'm, I'm not going to tell you that story because he tells it great. Mm-hmm. But, um, but he does introduce a song. He says this, he goes, oh, we're about to play, the best song that Hootie and the Blowfish ever recorded. So, um, <laughs> and that, uh, that's that's the way we feel. So, uh, it's, oh, it's a wonderful thing uh, oh, that they recorded. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, that is that is a great way to introduce it for sure. <laughs> so, when you guys toured with them. Did you did you guys play it first and then they played it or how how did this that end up working? That that's a very good question and I'll, that, that's a bit of a funny story. Um, but Colton, I got to tell you, I got to jump here in a few minutes because I got to go to sound check here at four oh, thirty. So okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm looking at my phone and it's already been an hour and one minute. So mm-hmm. uh, so you're a very engaging interviewer, or either that or I've talked a lot. I'm not sure which. I, I think but, it's both. <laughs> Okay, so so what happened was I think the first show that we did with them was in uh, Ottawa at the Corel Center, and we talked about that with them. We said, well, you know, it's your song, it's our song. I mean, it's you know, but but you guys wrote it, and I was okay. Well, we'll 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 play it. Although we'd rather they play it, you know, mm-hmm. um, because you know it's just, just anyway. So. We get up there and we start to do our set and everything's going fine. Of course, we're going over fine. Then we get to I Go Blind and we start to play I Go Blind. Mm-hmm. And then you can see some kerfluffle on the side of the stage and it's the stage manner for Hooting the Blowfish. And he's going apoplectic. He's thinking that we're kind of insulting them by stealing one of their songs and we're being cheeky, you know? Because <laughs> uh, he, he doesn't know that it's our song. Yeah. And, and so he has to be held back by these guys that have explained to them, no, 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 wait, this is their song. They've recorded this. <laughs> Let them do it. Whatever. And then we heard about it afterwards. And we said, hey, you guys do it. <laughs> it's like, it's fine for us because we play it every night anyway. So, mm-hmm. so don't worry. And then what happens when they would play, we would go out and, and play with them. Right? Oh, awesome. So, yeah, we just sing background vocals and, and play some percussion or whatever. And, and, uh, it was it was a lot of fun, you know. So mm-hmm. um, it was a it was a great time, and those guys are they're lovely, lovely people. They're gentlemen. Uh, they've got a, a great energy and a sense of fun, and uh, yeah. So there's there's fun memories, yeah, for sure. That's good. All right, I could ask a ton more questions, but obviously you have to get off to sound check. So I will definitely let you go for now. Thank you so much for this interview. Cole, it's been my pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation. Hopefully we can pick up and, uh, and do it again sometime. The Desert Tiger Podcast.
Ah, you guys, like, seriously, I need to give a huge, massive DTP thank you to Brad Merritt for taking time out of his touring schedule right before his show, giving me an hour, pretty much allowing me to interview right up before he had to leave for sound checks. So I am extremely thankful that I was given that opportunity and that he was willing to sit and talk with me for so long. It's it's truly a blessing and I am so happy. And I also need to give a massive shout out and thank you to Eric Alper and Alan Moy. They both were extremely crucial in this episode coming together and I couldn't be happier with how they helped out. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for everything you did. I also need to give a huge Desert Tiger Podcast shout out. Thank you to you guys, the listeners of the Desert Tiger Podcast, for tuning into this episode of the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I please ask if you want to support us the best way that you can do that is to either subscribe on whatever service you're listening on. We're available on Spotify, Apple, Apple Podcasts, we're CastBox, Stitcher, Google Play Music. We are on all sorts of different places. We have all of our episodes up on our website, www.deserttigerentertainment.com. If you guys subscribe or share one of the episodes if you enjoy it share all the episodes you enjoy i will be extremely in your guys's debt and that would be extremely cool that is the best way you can support the show for free and of course if you want to support the show a little bit more you can always check out our great sponsors and the great deals that they give you i listed them off earlier so Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing, for sharing this show, for helping blow us up. Like I said in our last episode, the show has been blowing up by over 30% in over March, and we're continuing to grow coming into April here. I am so excited for what we have for you guys in the future. I'm I'm just will I'm just ready to explode, and I hope you guys are just as excited as I am and Desert Tiger is just ready to keep on kicking ass in 2018. So I hope you guys are just as ready for it as I am. So as you guys know, we like to either end things off with a song or we like to end things off with a quote. Today we're going to end things off with a song. We're going to end things off with another track off 5440's brand new album that just dropped in January, Keep On Walking. This track is going to be called Dream We Spoke Of. Hopefully it carries you with a little bit of inspiration into your weekend. Hopefully you guys kick ass on whatever it is you have that is in your way that you have to do, whatever you have to achieve and succeed. You guys can do it, believe it, dream about it, have a great weekend, and peace out.
Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Thanks for listening.